You're listening to 3CR 855 AM on digital and on the internet, www.3cr.org.au. Welcome to another edition of Communication Mixdown. I'm Liam Armstrong. For today's show, we will be discussing the shift to digital activism within the student movement during the coronavirus pandemic. Students have already borne the brunt of rampant neoliberalism, with the youth of today being the first generation to be less well-off than the one preceding them. The expected economic depression that will likely result in the years following the outbreak of the virus will hurt young people more than others. Unsurprisingly, it's never been a better or more important time for students to band together and fight back. Universities are traditionally sites of radicalism and activism, but a pandemic presents great challenges to organising within them. Shortly after the pandemic hit, they were quickly closed down and learning was moved online. Campus closures mean that student activists are no longer able to access the traditional forms of resistance, such as rallies, due to social distancing. Further, the universities as a workplace are playing host to some of the most public examples of internal struggle within the union movement. Just look at the widespread discontent within the NTU. Yet, it would be foolish to count the university left out. They already know that we need a better world, so let's see how they've been fighting for it during COVID-19. Both of our guests today are on the front line of organising student resistance to the chaos set off by coronavirus. They're both long-term activists, currently serving as education officers in their respective student unions and members of the revolutionary Marxist organisation Socialist Alternative. Jack Mansell is the education officer at the University of Sydney's SRC. Chauvin Batari is the education officer at the University of New South Wales SRC. Welcome to the show, Chauvin and Jack. Hey. Hi. Thanks for having us. <laughs> yeah. So, um, starting off, can you guys give us a broad overview of the impact of the coronavirus on students at Australian universities nationally? Yeah. I mean, it's had a pretty profound impact, obviously. Uh, we've seen probably the biggest hit to the higher education sector in decades and decades and decades in terms of um, funding, in terms of um, the whole bunch of things. So we've seen basically overnight a real hit to the sector and a lot of uncertainty about what's going to happen going forward. Um, basically, the battle lines being drawn about, well, there's been a massive um, reduction in funding. People are saying $4 billion, $5 billion this semester or this year even, uh, and up to $18 billion over the next uh, few years before things, you know, they're hoping return to normal, but I'm sceptical that that will happen. And really, the battle line's being drawn over who's going to pay for that. Um, and yeah, we've just seen like an enormous impact on staff and students already. Chauvin? Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. I think the other thing that's just worth talking about as well is that um, aside from the fact that the university bosses are now going on the attack against students and staff to try and make us pay for the crisis, the other thing is a bunch of young people, students, 
uh, make up a lot of casual workers in this country who have been some of the first people to lose their jobs. Um, so now, like, thousands of students are facing a situation where they're jobless, uh, you know, facing threat of eviction, um, and on top of that now, they are facing a very insecure future in terms of what's going to happen with their education. This is not to mention the fact that, for example, international students and other vulnerable groups of students are particularly feeling the crunch of this pandemic and the economic crisis. Um, many international students have been basically left stranded in this country, um, unable to get back home, and also facing the threat of eviction and joblessness. So um, that's just worth talking about as well, I think. Definitely. So there's definitely a lot to fight back against, both for students and staff. So the campaign the student left seems to um, be mainly running at the moment is um, students organising resistance in the pandemic. So you guys have both been involved in that from the start. Can you talk um, about how the campaign started, how it's being run, what platforms and what the demands are? I think... The main premise of the campaign that students organising resistance are running is around a slogan of no uni cuts. As I referred to before, there's serious battle lines being drawn. Uh, an, you know, an economic shock of billions of dollars in the immediate term, but you know, dozens of billions of dollars uh, over the medium to long term isn't something that the vice-chancellors just want to reach into their hip pocket to pay for. And I think... That means, well, where are they going to make up the shortfall in their bottom line? We've already seen it. The 40% reduction, or 30 to 40, it's kind of unknown, but both obviously terrible, reduction in arts courses at the moment is a consequence of what Sydney Uni is trying to do, which is uh, cut $93 million out of the casual hiring budget. So basically sacking all of these staff who have no legal protections, uh, passing that on in the you know, cutting of subjects for students. Uh, and pocketing the difference to try and make up the shortfall. Uh, and it's something that student, you know, the student left has argued for a long time, that there shouldn't be a user-pays funding model if you're actually serious about having a quality higher education for the sake of people developing their skills of critical thinking, knowledge, inquiry, all of these sorts of things. Uh, it shouldn't be user-pays. It should be free at the point of use, and it should be paid for by higher taxes on the rich. What we've seen is that whole house of cards of a user-pays funding system uh, absolutely demolished overnight. And now the vice-chancellors and the government scrambling to make us pay for it, despite the fact we've been saying for years and years and years, this is ridiculous and uh, it's not our obligation to pay for. So I think, uh, you know, the campaign of No Uni Cuts is really about drawing that battle line and saying, we will not pay a single cent for this crisis. Actually, universities should dig, uh, dig sorry, into their uh, back pockets. Sydney Uni has at least $1.5 billion in financial assets alone uh, that they can definitely cover the hit that they've taken this semester. Uh, but in the long term, education should be fully publicly funded by the government uh, and students shouldn't have to pay for it. Chauvin, anything to add? Yeah. Um, well, students organising resistance was set up initially um, with the knowledge that students immediately were uh, affected by the COVID-19 crisis and the university's terrible response from the start. The universities uh, used it to try and screw over international students. Um, yeah, forced evictions onto people, uh, didn't take enough safety precautions around the pandemic itself. Um, but in conjunction with students organising resistance, um, there, it sort of came to light over the course of the last few months that um, 
the issues of the university sector extended far beyond just an inadequate response to the immediate uh, pandemic by the universities um, to be, yeah, as Jack said, a battle. Um, and details were released of negotiations, but the NTU, the National Tertiary Education Union, uh, which represents university staff, um, unfortunately, the national leadership had agreed in negotiations behind closed doors with the university vice-chancellors around the country uh, to uh, basically make a bunch of concessions, including immense staff pay cuts that would you know, possibly number up to 15%. And so Shears Organised Existence has been really... Um, yeah, we've, we've collaborated a lot with the NTU Fight Back campaign, which is a campaign launched by NTU rank and file members who've uh, basically nationwide passed a bunch of motions in members' meetings and branch committee meetings around the country at different campuses to basically um, say that rank and file members of the NTU uh, refuse to actually accept the idea that we should have to sacrifice to pay for this crisis. We refuse uh, to accept the idea that we should take a 15% pay cut and a massive hitch to the pay and conditions we've fought so hard for over the last few decades um, in order to keep the universities profitable. So we really want to sort of uh, echo this argument um, that staff are making around the country um, and say that students stand with staff and students also think that it should not be staff and students who are forced to pay for this crisis. Uh, it should be the universities and it should be the government. The universities, you know, People like uh, Michael Spence, the uh, Vice-Chancellor at the University of Sydney where Jack studies, he's on the salary of $1.5 million and he has come out explicitly to say, uh, yeah, he will not be taking a pay cut. He has said it as a point of pride that while he's demanding university staff take historic pay cuts that will see them lose hundreds of dollars a fortnight and university students see their courses absolutely slashed, their quality of education massively degraded, well, the vice-chancellors are going to be sitting happy on millions and millions of dollars um, in their bank accounts. Well, we totally reject that idea. We think that they should be forced to pay. The university should liquidate some of their massive investments into investment property portfolios. And ultimately, the government should invest uh, millions of dollars the necessary money into universities to make them a fully funded, free institution. Yeah, you've introduced it um, really well because um, one of my questions was definitely going to be about that. Um, obviously, one of the most dramatic stories that's playing out publicly in the media at the moment is um, the struggle within the NTU, wherein the rank and file have been forced to organise against the union leadership's attempts to sell them out and negotiate concessions. And, yeah, you've both just touched on it. Solidarity between students and staff has always been a crucial factor in successful campaigning on campus and in the sector. So, like, I suppose, why do you think this has become such a dramatic blow-up? And, like, yeah, what what other thoughts do you have on, like, how students can support it? And why do you think that has become such a big story in the media and an important one for the left to debate about? Yeah, I think one of the reasons that it's become such a big... Uh, kind of story in the media is that we've not seen this level of rank and file organising against the interests of uh, kind of national union leadership at a national level uh, in decades, really. You've not seen this kind of like unified, coordinated 
uh, rejection of the strategy that's being put forward by, uh, you know, the National Executive of the Union uh, an actual commitment amongst serious sections of the rank and file of staff to fighting against the cuts and to saying the strategy that's being put forward is not actually a way to save jobs, uh, which is the way that it's being solved. Uh, and let alone that, we shouldn't have to, you know, pay for the crisis out of our pay packets. Uh, it should come from the top and it should come uh, from the, you know, enormous corporate universities, their enormous uh, reserves of cash and property and all the rest of it. And I think, yeah, it is an important stand to take because it's a sort of, you know, relates back, I think, to the fundamental principles of uh, trade unionism. It relates back to, you know, the kind of slogan of the old builders' labour has been in the news a bit with Jack Mundy's passing a couple of days ago, that if you don't fight, you lose. And I think the, the position that's been put forward by the National Executive of the Union is capitulation to preserve a seat at the table. And I think for staff, they don't get that seat at the table. Uh, they just get a you know, 15% reduction in their take-home pay. Life becomes much more difficult for them. Uh, and the workload is definitely not decreasing. There's a whole bunch of work that still needs to be done. It's just that the universities don't want to pay for it anymore. So at La Trobe University... Uh, sorry, no, it wasn't Latrobe. It was actually RMIT. After they announced that they need to cut staff, the staff budget for semester two by 40%, they included in the same email an appeal to staff to do volunteer work, to pick up the slack that the SAC staff won't be doing anymore. I think that's an example of the fact that it's not, a fa it's not the question of there's no work to be done. It's just that they don't want to pay for it. And I think uh, for staff, that's pretty outrageous. They're going to be working harder for less money and, you know, no seat at the table for the national executive is really going to, um, you know, cushion that blow for staff. And, you know, again, another slogan of the trade union movement that's been referred to a bunch by the staff is one that was raised by uh, striking waterside workers uh, in Britain in 1915, which was, you're with the officials so long as they represent you. But when they start, you know, trying to prioritise their seat at the table over the actual wages and conditions of staff, you have to fight against them as well. And that's the situation for staff. It's a really important battle going on. Chauvin, anything to add? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I really agree with that. It's, I think the reason why this uh, struggle going on in the rank and file of the NTU um, against the university bosses and against their own uh, union leadership has been, um, yeah, I think, I think it's a really historic one. Um, and I think the reason so many people are looking to it at the moment is that it really shines out, I think, as a beacon of light in terms of how should we respond to the economic crisis that we find ourselves in uh, worldwide now. Um, you know, right now we're living through what is the deepest economic crisis, you know, in, in capitalism's history, actually, um, and certainly in the lifetime you know, of uh, people, yeah, like many uh, workers in this country um, and students. They will have never experienced something... Um, like this before, uh, and so at the moment, the fact that in the um, in the NTU, in the university sector, there is uh, hundreds and hundreds of university workers around the country who are prepared to stand up and make an argument that actually it should not be workers who are forced to pay the cost of this crisis with job losses and pay cuts and harsh austerity measures. Actually, um, you know, we can stare down the barrel of this crisis and. Uh, organise and, um, yeah, fight militantly to demand that the true cost of this crisis is put onto the rich, actually. Uh, the fact that there is a, yeah, a force out there in society right now um, making that argument, I think really has been a, a 
beacon of light for, um, yeah, lots of ordinary workers around this country. Um, and more than that as well, I think in terms of why, you know, for example, the media has been covering this story um, in quite some depth uh, over the last few weeks, I think that that gets to a broader question about how, uh, what are the different strategies on the table um, for how society should be organised? I think it gets really deeply into the heart of that question because at the moment there is a question now about what the higher education sector should look like and what education should be directed towards. And so you see um, vice-chancellors around the country, uh, you know, writing their opinion pieces, um, talking about how they think that the university sector uh, will be really crucial to get us out of this economic crisis by restructuring them to, themselves to best meet the needs of Australian capitalism and um, being, you know, the innovators, the vehicles for change, whatever um, they want to say about themselves, you can see that they are making an argument as to what the future of the university sector should be, is that it should be something that is all about gearing uh, future generations of workers um, to best suit the interests of uh, national industry and so on. This has been what the purpose of education has been now um, for decades and decades. Well, uh, the fact that, however, at the moment, it's an open question, I think is really important because it gives people like the NTU rank and file uh, campaign um, and students uh, space to make an argument that is about saying, no, we completely reject that education should be a commodity that is put onto the market, um, that is geared around best serving the interests of Australian capitalism. We think that education should be a right and we think that it should be something that students and staff have some say over how it is run, um, and we think that it should be something that is uh, free and publicly owned. So I think, yeah, the fact that these questions have sort of been thrown up into the air is one example of how important it is. And finally, just on um, your last thing, Liam, about um, what students can do to help support this campaign, um, well, I would really encourage anyone who's listening to this today to uh, look up on Facebook Students Organising Resistance Campaign. Um, we published a lot on social media um, over the last few days. Um, and I would definitely get along to the National Day of Online Action that we've called for May 22nd. Um, so that's happening this Friday. Um, what it is is it's going to be a day of action where we can get together um, and discuss some of these questions and start to organise around um, fighting the university cuts, which these latest attacks on staff are just, unfortunately, the very uh, tip of the iceberg in what we're going to see happening over the next few weeks and months. You're listening to 3CR 855 AM on digital and on the internet, www.3cr.org.au. You're back with Communication Mixdown. I'm Liam Armstrong-Carrigan, and if you've just t- tuned in, this week I'm chatting to Jack Mansell and Siobhan Batari, two socialist student activists and education officers at the two major New South Wales campuses, about student resistance during the coronavirus pandemic. So Chauvin was just talking about the upcoming um, National Day of Action that Students Organising Resistance has organised. And as someone who's a former student activist and education officer myself, um, digital campaigning used to be an add-on to a physical on-the-ground campaign and in service to building mass actions on the ground. And I'm sure that um, those sort of big rallies and actions are what you guys initially imagined your year um, as education officers in the student union would be all about. But 
obviously this upcoming day of action is going to be digital. What are your reflections on this shift to digital campaigning and politics? What are the challenges, the benefits that you've been seeing so far being forced to organise in a way that we really haven't before? Yeah. Well, I think that, um, yeah, frankly, it's really crap, <laughs> unfortunately, you know. <laughs> to be in this period where we're experiencing um, these massive, immense, you know, historic cuts to the uh, staff paying conditions that are on the table to the quality of our education, um, you know, these are the biggest attacks since the introduction of uh, university fees and hex, really. So in decades and decades, there's been nothing like this. Um, but to have this happen in a time where, yeah, the, uh, we're all confined to our homes um, really puts a bit of a damper on the sort of uh, fight that we would uh, be able to wage in person. Um, however, that I think it, it's important that we haven't just kind of <laughs> thrown in the towel because of having to uh, be not able to get out onto the streets. Um, yeah, and so we have called a whole bunch of uh, online actions over the past few weeks uh, to try and... Uh, mount a campaign um, and keep up the yeah momentum of a fight so that as soon as it's possible to, we will be back out on the streets, um, yeah, disrupting uh, the Vice-Chancellor's sort of status quo um, the way that we can. Um, yeah, so I think the main challenge has uh, been that um, people do want to fight over these things. They are angry and they feel really uh, let down and frankly furious at the way that uh, the staff um, have been treated, the way that students themselves have been treated, the way the government has totally abandoned um, millions of people in this country. Um, so we have tried as much as possible to cohere some of that sentiment into, uh, yeah, a collective fighting response as much as is possible through a, you know, Zoom uh, call mm -hmm. as opposed to mass rally. Um, but, yeah, definitely it's important that something is happening now, that people are uh, forging those, like, activist sort of connections and so on, so that as soon as we can, we'll be back out there fighting in person. Yeah, we've got time for one more question, and I think that it, it basically will tie through everything we've been saying before. Like, we know that crisis is, is built into capitalism, and unfortunately the people who've been bearing the brunt of this crisis has been like workers, students and the oppressed. And we can already see a huge push through the media and a message of like, get back to normal, take personal responsibility, get everyone back to work, keep the economy going. Obviously also like as like revolutionary socialists, I'm sure you guys, this is a, a time of huge opportunity also for the left. But like, yeah, like what... What excites you and what scares you most, I suppose, like your final thoughts, the things you want the listeners to hear about what we need to do and what could happen if we don't and how we come out of this pushing for a better world that we already knew like we needed, like the system wasn't working. What, what message do we need to be sending to get something better out of all of this? Or, yeah, final thoughts, I suppose. I think it sort of hit home for me. I remember in the first sort of weeks of the crisis thinking, I know that crisis is inbuilt to capitalism, but I've never seen doll cues snaking around the corner of people standing in lines for hours and hours and hours like it's the Great Depression. And I think 
there's not really any joy to take in the fact that capitalism has crisis inbuilt into it. It's you know not like I just feel you know vindicated or anything in some moral sense. But it has hit home very much the urgency of organising ordinary people because I think the one thing that uh, you know restrains the idea that things could be different, that we don't have to pay for this crisis, is a sense of hopelessness and a sense that actually there is no alternative to the way uh, in which society is run as it is right now. And I think part of what is you know, being waged and needs to be waged across society, and in the small part that we're trying to do it on the campuses, is wage an argument that we don't have to cop this shit anymore. There can be a different way of doing it. But that cannot coexist with a world which is run for profit. It's not, you know, in an education sense, it can't run, uh, it can't coexist with an education system geared around uh, churning people through to be the next generation of workers uh, to make the, you know, biggest possible margins uh, for some corporatized uh, university management or anything like that. We actually have to take things back into our own hands and do things in our own interests. And I think in terms of opportunities, I think that there's no other option but to organise and to push back against this logic because the alternative is obviously just desperation for millions and millions of people around the world. And I don't think we should accept that uh, one bit. So for me, it's just uh, a vindication of why I'm a socialist. Uh, and, you know, why ordinary people deserve something far better than this uh, absolute, you know, garbage system. Chauvin, final thoughts? So I think a lot of things have uh, sort of been revealed by the depth and magnitude of the crisis we find ourselves in, um, which, yeah, really make a bit of a case, I think, for why capitalism is rotten to its very core and needs to be replaced by a system that is uh, built in the interests of the majority of people, um, I think the, in terms of your question about um, some of the uh, sort of signs for hope to look towards in amidst all of the absolute barbarity on display in the world today, um, I think you can see uh, flickers of resistance amongst all of these layers, uh, sections of society, um, like the rank and file workers today in Australia taking on the university bosses and even taking on their own national union leadership in order to, um, yeah, put up some resistance in the face of massive demands of, of sacrifice and austerity. Um, you see uh, workers uh, in uh, America who work in supermarkets or at Amazon and so on demanding hazard pay, uh, demanding that they get paid, uh, you know, $50 an hour instead of the 15 that they were previously. You see, um, yeah, uh, workers organising to demand uh, masks and sick leave in uh, hospitals throughout America as well. Um, I think all around the world, you are seeing people uh, realise, both on the one hand, the absolute depravity of the current system of how we organise society, um, but you also see them uh, realising that an alternative is possible, that you can collectively organise and you can fight and actually you can try to uh, create a society that is entirely different from the absolutely rotten one we live in, um, that is one about actually, yeah, fulfilling human needs and uh, meeting full human potential. So in our own small part, um, as education officers here in Australia, uh, I think in some ways we are contributing to that mm. fight um, demand, the world be a better place. Definitely so. Um, thanks so much for the discussion today, guys, and hope to see you both on the streets fighting for that better world when we all can. Um, and this hell is over. <laughs>
Thanks very much. Thank you. That was Jack Mansell and Chauvin Batari talking about how students are campaigning amidst the COVID-19 pandemic. Thanks again to our guests for their time today, and that's it for Communication Mix Down This Week. We're back again next Monday at 6pm.